Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and this is episode 59. Today, we have a new voice, a new perspective coming to our podcast. This is going to be a fun and exciting conversation. Let's do this. Hello, hello. Thank you guys so much for joining us today on our conversation. It is a turning point for our podcast because we have someone coming on to our podcast that we are really excited about. And before I introduce our guest, Bernard and Shu are here. How are you guys doing? All right. <laughs> I'm good. I'm on vacation. <laughs> oh, man. I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> yes. That's true. That's so true. Vacation for me is full-time parenting, teaching, and cook, and it's good times. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But you know what? It's an exciting day. We have a very special guest, a recent seminary grad, a pastor, a blogger, a PhD candidate, surely smarter than the three of us combined. We sometimes refer to her as Professor X. But you'll come to know her as our new co-host, Xenia Chan. How are you doing? Hey, it's good to be here. Yes. Woo! Cheering. The crowd goes wild. Yes, she's been a guest. She's been a guest host. And now she's jumping on the camp train as one of our regular hosts for our upcoming episodes. And how do you feel about joining this motley crew of craziness? Oh, delighted. You guys are awesome. We're friends. <laughs> so. You know, like, I think this is the best of every world. Oh, wow. I, I'm, I'm just glad the answer wasn't instant regret of saying yes and no, 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 no. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. All right. We want to hear a bit more about you. But, you know, for those of you guys who've been following along the podcast, check out episode 47. That was the first part of our Church 2 conversation. And Xenia introduced her backstory a little bit on that episode. On today, we have a number of questions just to get to know you a bit more. So, Xenia, you know, off the top of your head, if someone asked you or if we asked you, could you describe or perhaps differentiate what does it mean to be a Canadian Asian? What would you say? I think anybody of Asian descent who lives in Canada, someone who wrestles with or lives out of, I should say, a bicultural or even a tricultural identity. Yeah, I think those those probably would be my definitions. Like, I, I'm just wondering, like, are you lumping in all together, you know, those who would be first generation, but consider themselves bicultural or first generation, but they don't really consider that? Like, that's why I'm kind of just teasing it out a bit. Right. So I think increasingly the last couple of weeks, as I've been talking to a few friends, that the generations conversation isn't always the most helpful. I think it actually might be more conducive to talking about experiences within a community. And so when we're talking about communities, when we're talking about the Asian community in Canada, it encapsulates all the generations. It's Mm. not just, this is the second generation conversation. This is the first generation conversation. I think in order for us to think about, especially for our podcast, think about the gospel holistically, we actually have to think about communities as a whole knowing that there is nuance in, in the different particularities. Very nice. That was an excellent answer. 
it was you know, a great way for us to kind of jump into this conversation and as you're coming on as a host. So, you know, one of the things we did want to ask you, you know, you've been a journalist in the past and now you're a blogger, zeniachan.com, the space between, definitely check it out. So many awesome resources, so many awesome articles that you have posted and your guests have posted as well. And a lot of it kind of focuses around, you know, the Canadian Asian experience and it also focuses on theology, focuses on ministry. And we're just wanting to ask you, you know, as you are putting together this blog, you know, what are you observing in that specific landscape? And what are some of the specific trends that you are noticing? What are people talking about today? Yeah, so my blog is a little bit different. Um, I think it's predominantly full of people who love the church, but are looking a little bit into the future, into the post-Christendom context. Uh, so what this just means is the word post-Christendom means a world in which the traditional church context doesn't actually hold any sway in either the political dimension, social or economic dimensions. And it doesn't hold sway particularly for those who don't actually know what church means. And so sort of when we're talking about post-Christendom, it means really that Christians are no longer the dominant voice in society. And I think even though we think that we're there, I think a lot of times our language is, oh, Canada is such a secular country. It is true, sort of. I mean, we talked about this with Andrew Root. But I think that we still don't know how much power we have. And so one of the things that my friends and I are particularly interested in are how do we handle what it means to be people with voice and with a seat at the table without assuming persecutedness or like a martyrdom sort of complex and to be able to articulate, okay, well, what is the spirit of God doing in our communities? What, what is God leading us towards? How do we dream with new imagination? How do we kind of to use the words of Stanley Harawas, adopt the rhythms of the Jesus narrative back into our story. And so those things are really important to me and important to my friends. So you notice the people who blog on my blog are people who share sort of the same hopes and dreams as I do. I do have people who disagree with me. And I, I say to people all the time, if you disagree with me, but you've got something to say, please come on my blog. And then we'll have a back and forth and we'll do a series and stuff like that. That's awesome. I want to give Shu and Bernard a chance to follow up with that because you opened up this big door. So I think we need to ask you more questions about that. I got one. Yeah. So why did you name your blog The Space Between? Because it has so much meaning. It can have so much nuance. Like why, why that name? So I love the idea of liminal space. I love the idea of this place where security and stability aren't necessarily presumed. And I think that speaks to me as a person of Chinese Hong Kong descent living in a Canadian context. There's this wonderful book that's escaping my mind at the moment, but the theologian basically talks about the places of liminality being the places where the spirit thrives, because we kind of lean into what the spirit is doing because we have nothing else to depend on. The other thing is I didn't want to name it the space of liminality because liminality is kind of this really pretentious word. And I have a friend who makes fun of that word all the time. It's like, why would you use the words liminality? Why would you just talk about the in-between space? So that's kind of riff on that. The other thing is, is I didn't realize this, but one of my favorite Christian urbanists, he's a pastor. He actually wrote a book that 
was called the space between or something like that effect. And so I thought, oh, okay, right. Like when we're talking about space between, we're talking about uh, built space, like those are also important dimensions. So it's not just about ethnicity and culture. It's not just about who we are as Christians, but it's also about like my orientation towards how I think built form shapes us as a people. It's so subversively like disruptive. I just really like the title. Mm. Yeah, and it's invitational too, right? You don't, it's not a, hey, like, come over to my side. It's, oh, let's let's wander the wilderness for a little bit. Let's figure out who God is together. Yes. It's kind of like that yes. non-polarizing space, right? Like, it's like you want to create, you know, more of that space for conversations. Like, you're entering the table kind of thing. I'm adding more metaphor to it, but it's not really the metaphor. But anyways, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> And we hope that we can uh, cross post some of your stuff as well, because I think it will definitely be insightful to the people listening to this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And actually to ju- jump off of that, and I don't think we asked you this even, you know, off off uh, the recording, but, you know, why why did you want to join join up with us? I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, you're a really busy person. <laughs> you're involved in a lot of different things, but I find it interesting. How come, you know, you agreed? <laughs> To, to to get on board with us and to keep and keep this conversation going. I think in part because you guys are my community. The Asian conversation I think is really important. When we're talking about some of the racial flashpoints, and I know that I I don't like to be reactive. I, I like to be proactive in, in some respects, but I think that you guys have created this space for for the Asian community. I mean, all of us are Chinese, so the Chinese community to actually begin to parse out what it means to be a different sort of Christian, to actually take seriously our faith without inheriting it from our parents. And honestly, I think that's important for me too. And so I think when I'm thinking about ministry, I think, oh, this is this is something I'd like to be a part of. This is something that I feel called towards. And I like you guys, like I said. Cool. Good to know. <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> Oh man, it's good. It is so good. And we could definitely use, you know, the a female perspective in this in this group as we want to see a greater, you know, wider breadth of this kingdom perspective. So, I do appreciate, you know, you coming on board and giving us that if not more than just that. You know what? We're so excited that you are joining us, Senia. It is going to be awesome to have you on board. You know, from all the past experiences of you jumping into podcasts, like you were there on our first season. You were there uh, when we were interviewing David Fitch. At a bar. When we were all set up. Oh, yeah. And, and you just jumped in and it was, it was excellent. It was excellent. You know, we're so glad that you're joining us and we're looking forward to how we continue to work this out all out together. And so, yes, I did want to follow up and perhaps ask you some specifics but you talked a little bit about like, you know, reclaiming the Jesus narrative. You know, you use that quote. And those who you write and you invite on your blog that are like-minded and want to see the same thing. So what are some of the glimpses that you are seeing? What are some of the ways that, that Jesus is breaking in, into our stories, into our cultures, into our narrative? So I, I would love to hear what are the things that you are observing? Yeah, I'm going to backtrack a little bit because I, I want to give some context to where that comes from for me. So I'm an Old Testament scholar, like Old Testament is my jam. And one of the things that has really intrigued me is the wisdom literature. So it's all about the people of God wrestling with one another and how to follow God 
in, in ways that provide the, the good life, the flourishing life, the, the life of shalom. And so when I'm talking about like the Jesus narrative, I am really talking about like, how do we as people of God walk in, in light of the path of God? Like, how do we walk in light of the word of God? And I mean, for the Jewish people, it's the Torah. It's for us, it's the word is Jesus. So it's, it's both and scripture, the spirit and the teachings of Jesus. What's been really interesting to me is that it's it's been a problem for a couple of decades where we're just losing the sort of literacy that we want to see in our people who follow Jesus. Like, I know a, a Jewish rabbi who knows the scriptures forwards and backwards all in Hebrew, right? Like, could just say a thing and then they would know exactly where it comes from. I don't have that ability. I, I might know a little bit more scripture than the average person, but that's because my tool and my trade is is the is the Bible. But I'm wondering, like, what would it look like for our communities to actually pick up the diction and the rhythm and the cadence of the scriptures, where we actually are so formed by the scriptures that they sink into us. When you think about the ways you approach a decision, you you think about back to the sages and how they processed and how they made a decision about what the good life meant. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And uh, for a long time, we've missed out on aspects of justice. We've missed out on aspects of what righteousness actually means. We've equated certain types of piety with righteousness. And I, I want to say, like, when we look at the expansive love and the, of the covenant of God in both the Old and the New Testaments, it's a little bit more than that. It's a holistic sense of who God is and what he calls his people to be. So that being said, one of the big things for me in the last little while has been watching communities wrestle through with what does it mean to be the people of God in a pandemic? What does it mean to be a people of God when we don't gather? So um, I've just been delighted by the number of Christians who have suddenly noticed, oh, wow, there are street-involved people ministries that really need our help. Like, I love that. Now, do I think that there's a theological backing behind it that is a little bit robust enough for for them to figure out how this fits with their everyday sort of life pre-pandemic. No, but we'll get there. Like that's just usually how that goes. I'm loving the conversations that I'm hearing with people thinking through, oh, actually, what does it mean to be church? What does it mean for me to love my neighbor? What does it look like for me to be intentional about uh, keeping up the, like, the disciplines of the church? So those are sort of the things that I'm intrigued by. I've got... Um, I don't know if you mentioned this earlier, but I'm helping plant a church. And one of the things that comes up every week as, as we're in my core group discerning this church planting is that we're wrestling out what does it actually mean to lay aside uh, some of the baggage we might have claimed in our time in the church or, or just outside the church? What does it look like for us to say, actually, we need Jesus to break our boxes because we've put Jesus in a box and what we need to we need a new way of seeing who God is because the way that we've treated God in the past is not sufficient for who we need him to be and who he actually is. That's so awesome. I think we just got to let that sink in. Just let that, you know, percolate and, you know, soak in all the things that you're saying. Wow. <laughs> that is so cool. Yes. It sounds like, you know, both in the online environment, you're creating space in the ministry aspect, you are creating space for God to be able to work in that way and for you guys to continue to wrestle. And like, I, I have to for sure commend you because that's not easy. You know, the, the, the questions you're asking are not easy questions. 
and especially for a community of people just to even be aware and and look back at maybe perhaps some of their baggage, some of the things that they have perhaps, you know, prescribed onto God. Or, you know, that's huge. And, you know, that, that, that comes with a lot of like, you know, conviction in, in terms of, of how that affects the people, right? Yeah, so I just have to like caveat that with like this, this group of people are a bunch of people who are done with church. And so they're having those conversations anyway. I think our tendency of people who are in the church is to say, whenever you see someone walking away is to pull them back in. But the thing that I have felt consistently is this, is the spirit of God prompting me to walk alongside and to say, oh no, Jesus is in the midst of our deconstruction. He is the one who is disentangling. Because I think sometimes we've got these concrete foundations instead of maybe the image of roots. Like a tree that is rooted is is going to last a lot longer than a concrete foundation that's laid. Anybody who lays concrete knows that it, you know it cracks <laughs> um, for better or for worse in certain conditions, right? And so it's like, okay, how do we become a tree that's rooted by the living waters, where like God is the one who's feeding us and God is the one who's ordaining and leading our path? That's an awesome analogy, by the way, because I feel like. You know, so much of what we talk about is so contextual. And I feel like, you know, you can't just pour and make concrete anywhere you like. And you can't just plant a tree anywhere. And even like taking an example from our neighborhood, like they planted these giant trees, like right outside our complex. And then the tree roots were actually entangling itself and killing itself and breaking the foundations of our of our complex. And then they actually had to rip the tree out. And then we we're like, what are you going to do with it? And they're like, we can't do anything with it. It's going to die. And so there's so much context. There's so much like, I love the walking alongside picture because that's kind of what it is, right? You, as you walk alongside, then you kind of unearth more and more and to understand like what is needed in this place. You know, this kind of brings us, us to our next question, which I think is actually an easy segue into. But, you know, you've been part of this missional conversation group with pastors and leaders that this podcast came out of. And you've been part of it for the last couple of years. And so we did want to ask you, and you've already answered it in, in some way or form earlier today, but you know, how have you come to understand the mission of God? And where do you see yourself participating in it? Yeah, I think to quote a friend, he's very fond of saying this, actually, the mission of God has a church. And I, I think for me growing up in the evangelical context, it's always been the church is the mission of God or the church has a mission. And I think it's that the mission possesses the church. And I think when we get that straight, we begin to understand that God is already at work and that we don't actually do anything that he's not already doing. We come alongside the spirit of God who is at work in our communities. So I th- so our reformed friends would call that common grace. Where is the common grace? I'm, I'm not a reformed, I'm not in the reformed camp per se. In my tradition, we would, I would probably be more likely to call it prevenient grace. But the, the principle still sort of holds, mostly holds actually. And what's really interesting about the mission of God is that God is, is a creative God. And so I think when we say we've got a plan, we've got a strategy, we actually effectively erase or maybe even get in the way of what God is doing. So a couple of years ago, I was reading a biography of the campus ministry that I worked for. And the the man who was sent to plant the ministry, I just remember this out of the book. I can't remember very much else, but he said to God, like, God, do not let me stop 
the work that you are doing already. Do not let me be the one who is the roadblock. And I'm paraphrasing. I can't remember the exact words. That's a bold statement. Yes. Yes. And that has always stuck with me that I never want to get in the way of what God is doing. And so when I think about my own context and I'm thinking about mission, I never go into a neighborhood saying, I'm going to rescue this neighborhood. It's not, it's not my job. I'm not, I'm not out to convert people. Not my job. My job is to be witness to what God is doing and to celebrate what God is doing and to recall people to what God is doing. And all of these words are relational words. They're all they're all words that say, okay, the, the focus is God. What is God doing? How is he doing it? Who is he bringing people to together? And so for me, that that is what mission is. So it's not to say that strategies and plans and numbers and those sorts of things aren't important. They are. Metrics are important, but they can't be our baseline for determining the mission of God. We could totally get into longer conversations about that topic. That is for sure, especially in the evangelical church. Yes, Xenia, we totally resonate with what you're saying, and we're looking forward to all the conversations that will be coming along. One of the things we do want to ask you, and these these last few questions before we kind of get into our special rapid-fire round at the very end, is Bernard, Shu, and I graduated from seminary over 10 years ago. We all went to the same seminary. You graduated from the same seminary. We graduated from Tyndale. And when you hear us go on and on with our conversations, we wanted to ask you, what do we sound like to you? Do you feel like we come from similar lenses or do you feel that there are big differences? Like, this is just an honest question because, you know, maybe we're not as self-aware sometimes as we think we are. And you've, you've always been such a great listener. So we want to kind of see what was your take on listening into this conversation, listening to our podcast for all these years and and what you think. Yeah, that's a tough question. That's not that's not easy. <laughs> so I, I think what's been really interesting is that the more you've been delving into say Andrew Root or David Fitch or some of the missional church literature, the more I find I'm like, oh yeah, I've been stuck with you there. Like there's there's that. So I think like maybe I would say like five years ago, we weren't totally in step, but I couldn't have named for you either five years ago why we were out of step. I've also changed quite a bit. It's funny because in some ways, I think that my seminary education was exceptional. I don't think that I had a seminary education that was quite like anybody else's. And in part, it was because I had people who were willing to walk with me and dialogue with me about some of my biggest questions. And some of my biggest questions were almost always existentially attached which they knew and pastored me through them. But they also pushed the edge for me in figuring out what actually orthodoxy means or what actually good missional practice looks like or where does spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines actually fit into the life of the missional church. Or actually, I had this phenomenal semester where I just studied powers and principalities And it blew my mind. I walked out of my professor's office every week with an existential crisis because I couldn't, I couldn't handle what was really what was going on, but it was exactly the thing that I needed because it has now reshaped everything that I know about the church and how the church should be. Not everything, but like it has provided a really neat framework for it. So I think I I don't know how to answer that beyond like, I'm not sure we got the same education. I'm not sure we even had all the same professors. 
I'm pretty sure that none of you chase down your professors to have conversations with them in their office hours. Like I just outed myself as a keener, but I think we all knew that. I only did that to try to pass a course. Like I, I chased down professors. I was like, oh man, I want to follow up on what you said in class. Like I'm thinking about it from this angle and you know, what do you think about that? And you know, this is why John is also a keener. No, I'm kind of (laughs) not. I'm probably the least academic out of the four of us here, but you know, I, I was, I always had a lot of questions too. And I, I, I definitely resonate with you, Xenia, about having my mind blown several times, those existential crises, and it's just like, oh, that's, that's like, I need to like, let that process and wrestle and, oh man. You know, you talked a little bit about seminary and you, you know, you were in seminary over the last number of years and you were student council president, so we should always still call you president as well, because once a president, we should always acknowledge you with that title. And... We wanted to ask you, you know, what have you seen about those entering into vocational ministry or thinking about vocational ministry now, especially in the Canadian Asian context? You know, what are some of the passions that you have seen in your classmates or what are some of their fears? That's a tricky one. I think most people who come into the seminary are people who love the church in general, but then there are those who love the church as an institution and don't know how to separate those out necessarily. And I don't know if it's just the people who talk to me or if it's if I'm just not talking to the people who like gung ho love church and love everything within the, the institution. Like maybe I just don't talk to those people. But in the last couple of years, I, okay, so let me backtrack. One of the reasons why I started getting involved in community on campus was because my friend Tabitha, who's actually church planting with me now. She and I noticed that we had a lot of classmates who were feeling unwelcomed or like that they didn't fit in, that they were having all these really hard theological questions that they couldn't take back into their churches for fear of being called a heretic. And also, and or also, there were significant scandals happening in their churches that they felt if they brought back into their seminary education would bring shame upon their churches. I'm not going to go into detail about those, but it just meant that for a lot of my classmates, they felt like they were locked in. They they felt like there was no recourse and to boot, there was, there was very little space for people to kind of gather around and be able to work through some of this stuff. Now, I recognize that not everybody's in deconstruction mode when they're in seminary. Some are, some aren't. Legitimately, for some people, it's get an education, get the piece of paper, get out. But we wanted to create space for people who weren't like that. We wanted to create space for people who genuinely were trying to work out what their vocation and calling were, even while it didn't feel like they fit into their churches anymore. And that's really why I got involved with student community. And then it became student council when we realized that the things that actually need to change were systems and structures. That's a different conversation. So to answer your question, I think it depends on who you ask. The average age of the seminary is 44. It's not people in their 20s. And so I also think that as Christendom crumbles, certain things are just going to be exposed. I think we talked about the Me Too movement the last time I was here. Like that has had significant ramifications. We talk about, I mean, we don't ever talk about this, but we have issues with money. We have issues with pastors who don't, oh yeah, I'm going to say it. There are sex scandals in the church. And these actually have 
terrible ramifications for people who feel called to the church because they haven't been able to separate out, oh, the church is the body of Christ versus the church as the building I work in, or the church uh, is this group of people that I've worked with. And I, I think that as in listening to my fellow seminarians, a lot of it was this, but it was also a crisis of leadership where they feel like, okay, well, I still want to serve God. I still want to love God, but I don't want to work for this institution anymore. And I can't. So it was kind of like, yeah, there's some kind of epiphany that happens in seminary, especially with like what you're noticing with some of these people, whether it is in this sadly negative <laughs> negative experiential way, but then it's even, but there's a shift even in, in that, whether to, should I still be involved with this or is it something new or is it something, are we moving with God to something new or something like that? Yeah. I'll recommend a paper. My friend, Dr. Michael Krauss, he's, he's a professor of leadership at Tyndale. He, he, he wrote this paper a few years back and I think you guys were there at the presentation, but he talked about how there's just this crisis of leadership among that he's noticing in all of the the case studies that he's gone through where people just don't know how to deal with toxic leadership situations in their churches. Now I want to I want to specify that diaspora contexts are no more toxic than white contexts. I'm not saying that. I think everybody has potential to be toxic. I think the insularity of diaspora contexts just makes it worse because it doesn't feel like people have opportunities to move or leave or where, whatever it is without feeling a loss of identity. I, I, I could definitely agree with that. I, I see, I see that happen just, yeah, within that almost familial tribal context where you're just like, I, the collective identity, if I, if I leave this, I don't know what else I, I think. And that's some of the episodes that we've just been focusing on or we're about to focus on. I don't know what's going to be releasing on the nuns and duns, but yeah. <laughs> that'll be a that'll be a big one i think i think that will probably touch on some of those things oh yeah for sure for sure that's gonna be launching off our season four our next year 2021 hopefully a better year than 2020 <laughs> oh man it's getting real now uh, you know as, as we are venturing forward into season four are there burning topics that you want to talk through wrestle with together on camp and what are some of those topics i okay so here's here's one i'd love for us to have more conversations with other diaspora groups i'd love for us to figure out what it looks like to be in relationship with our indigenous brothers and sisters so here's the thing that i think is true sometimes when we define who we are as asians we do it in context to white people so oh we're asian but we're not we're not white this is all the ways in which we're not white and I'm not saying this has been true for like the podcast. I'm saying just generally, uh, this is how the conversation has gone in the Asian context or the, the, the Asian Canadian context. And I think what we actually need to do is to celebrate who we are as Asians. And we also need to be listening to the conversations that are happening in say the Caribbean context or like our Nigerian friends or our Latin American friends. So I, yeah, that's, that's one thing that I would love to be a part of. The other thing is that I, I wonder what it would like, be like to highlight some um, Canadian theologians a little bit more. We have a stack, so I'd, I'd love to get them on the podcast and see what comes out of our conversations. It might be totally crazy and whack, but you know. That's how we roll. That's how we roll. <laughs>
my question was, is just basically, what's your view on women in ministry? Oh. Any good resources for us? Like, I do want to do a deeper dive on that because I, you know, I, I feel like definitely you have from, you know, your particular discipline, from, from Old Testament perspective, from where you are theologically right now, I think there is a lot that, that I've learned from you. And from the women that, that you've learned as well, not just women, but the theologians and those who have been interpreting study scripture that way. And I think it's important for the mission. It's important for us to see women flourish in the kingdom and see them as Christ wants them to. So, I, yeah. It's funny you say that because I was hanging out with Lisa Pack, who co-wrote a paper on women in ministry with me at a recent conference. And we, we said to each other, oh, we've gotten so much bolder about our stance on women now that we've kind of become adjacent to our respective ethnic churches. And I realized that same night as I was talking to a young woman who basically had started a church. And the only reason why she didn't want to take the title pastor or actually even to lead it was because she didn't feel like as a woman, she could be called to ministry. And so, and I'll admit to an ulterior motive here. I think that because I am so confident in my calling, because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is the thing that the Lord has called me to, one of my responsibilities is to show other women that it is possible. Now, I think the thing that gets leveled at women in ministry is that they are like these militant feminists. So I want to be explicitly clear here that I am about the full partnership of women and men together for the sake of the gospel. It can't be just women and it can't be just men. It has to be both. But to the women who are thinking about ministry and have disqualified themselves because of their gender or because of what other people have said, my encouragement for them would be to say, okay, what has the Lord said to you? Read as widely as you can. Listen to the other side. And the denomination I'm with now, the Free Methodists, they've been, they've been celebrating women in ministry for as long as basically they started. It hasn't always been consistent that way. They haven't been consistently doing it, but the ethos of it is there. And I also want to say that, so my supervisor, Marion Taylor, she's, she's writing a woman Bible interpreters, and she's pulling stuff from, you know, the 1800s of women writing commentaries on the Bible. Now, we don't know their full names because they're Mrs. So-and-so, but these are real women who are active in the translation or in the interpretation of the Bible. And then I want to say specifically to the Chinese community, women have been preaching to mixed gender groups since the 1800s. So uh, when you say like, oh, well, tr traditionally women don't, and I'm going to say, actually, we've had this in our history. Somehow in the 1930s, all the women got sidelined. I don't know why but I'm going to find out. Wow. What is left to say, but amen. And, you know, let us know what you find because we want to know too. <laughs> I, I feel like you dropped a mic there, even though you're not actually speaking into a mic at the moment. But yeah, you know, there's so much in there and we need to have this conversation. It's like, you know, we, we barely touched the surface and, you know, we need to go deeper. You know, we need to restore something in our, in our churches, in our culture. So, man, Please let us know how what we find, and we'll have more episodes on that. Yes, yes. Let's bring Lisa back on. She's she's a good friend of the podcast. You know, we love having Lisa on as well. And let's just jump right into it and have our minds blown. Epiphany moments. Yes. 
So with that, Xenia, we have reached our rapid fire round. This is going to finish off our interview as a way just to kind of, you know, get to know you more on kind of some of these inconsequential parts. Well, actually, some of them are, you know, pretty serious. Answer them as as quickly as you can. No explanation needed. And they're just kind of a, a series of quick, fun questions. And whatever pops into your head, that's what we want to hear. Sounds good? All right. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Bagel or croissant? Neither. I'm allergic to wheat. Favorite thing to do on a day off? Go for a walk, write poetry, and catch up on my backlog of films. Best place to visit in the world? My favorite place in the whole world is this tiny island in Hong Kong. And I'm going to keep it a secret. (laughs) As you should. As you should. What inspires you? Art does. People do. uh, Spending time in scripture does. Favorite theologian? That's a hard one. That's not fair. (laughs) Okay. Who who are you enjoying at the moment? (laughs) Favorite read at the moment? Oh, um, okay. I'm... I'm reading Willie James Jennings at the moment, and he's great. All right. Favorite meal? I've been craving Mexican food. Most interesting place to observe people? Coffee shop. Mm. Favorite place to be alone? But then I wouldn't be alone anymore. (laughs) I think that's the first time anyone's answered that. Good answer. Good answer. That's good. Yes. Something new you learned within the last week? Uh, I've just been learning too many things. It's been a fire hose. (laughs) All right. Best advice you've ever been given? Turn to the divine gaze. What is something you couldn't live without? Can I answer coffee? Yes, you can. (laughs) Bernard's cheering in his his heart. Coffee, coffee shop. It's all all there. Yes. What is something you could live without? Oh, technology. (laughs) Favorite fictional character? Oh, this is hard. I love the series, The Tales of Paxinarian. And within the story is this older man who basically lives alone in the middle of nowhere. And he is attuned with nature. And anyways, he's integral to her healing story, to the main character's healing story. And he's my favorite person. That's so cool. His, his, his title is the Quackgan, and I don't actually know if I pronounced that right, but yeah, that's, and he's like friends with the elves. Anyways. Last two questions. If your teenage self saw you today, what would she think? So my teenage self once thought that I would be a doctor or a lawyer. So I think she would be horrified that I am a pastor. I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's like a, a lawyer, doctor kind of. And this you are taking kind of your PhD. Doctor. So, okay, no explanation needed. <laughs> okay, what would you tell your teenage self? Chill out. Excellent. You have completed the rapid fire round, and we've gotten to know you in a deeper level. So thank you so much, Xenia. Oh, man, it's going to be great. Lots of great conversations upcoming, and we're so glad that you are joining us as a host. And yeah, we're, we're just going to be jumping right into our season four soon. All right, that's it for today. If you haven't done so already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast because that helps us to actually get this podcast more out there. Share it to friends. And also, if you'd like to reach out to us and if you have a question for Xenia, 
Maybe you can reach her on her blog or by Facebook, but we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and email. We still use email. And we'd love to hear from you. Once again, this has been Camp, the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope that you'll join us on this journey. See you next time. Peace.